This is the Lions Unchained podcast, where the shackles of your mind are broken. It's not for the faint-hearted, but the chosen few who've embraced the call to leadership, dare to venture where others will not, and believe in God's supernatural power. Join Carl Joseph now for a life-changing word. Get ready to be unleashed into your destiny. Friend, this is my fourth and final broadcast on the rapture of the church, and we've covered quite a bit of ground in the past few days. We've studied key eschatological passages from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, John's Gospel, Jude, and finally the book of Revelation. Hopefully by now you're confident of our removal from the earth in the rapture prior to the tribulation period, which signifies our escape from God's soon coming wrath to be poured out upon unbelievers who dwell on the earth. Now, one of the passages some people used to try and justify the rapture of the church with some people being taken and others left behind is the parable of the five foolish virgins. This is a wedding story that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 25, verses 2 through 13, and I will read it to you now. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps, and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps, and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Friend, this parable is not the rapture of the church, as I will explain. It's the nation of Israel that's represented in this passage, and they've been sleeping for 2,000 years with regard to the true identity of Jesus the Messiah. In verse 5, it says, While the bridegroom tarried, they all went to sleep. Because Israel is asleep, it will miss the rapture, friend. Did you notice that Jesus is talking about ten virgins, not ten brides? The bridegroom is not marrying the virgins, friend. The bride is the church. It doesn't say five brides were foolish and five brides were wise. No. In Jewish tradition, when the marriage was consummated between the bridegroom and bride, the bridegroom would go to the home of the bride to fetch her and bring her to his house. But as he approached his own home, check this out, he would be met by a procession of virgins who would guide the bride and the bridegroom to their wedding ceremony. These virgins would then join the marriage feast in celebration with the bride and groom. The people listening to Jesus when he was speaking this parable would have understood this. But we in the West don't have a working knowledge of these Jewish traditions of matrimony. 
So when the bridegroom, which is Jesus the Messiah, returns to the earth with his bride, the church, at his second coming, at the end of the tribulation period, the virgins will be responsible for both watching for his return and being ready to light the lamps for the ceremony. Therefore, these virgins represent members of the nation of Israel who will be saved during the tribulation period. Remember, the five wise virgins were ready and watching with oil in their lamps, which represents their life. But the five foolish virgins are unbelievers because they have no oil in their lamps at all. And oil is a type of the Holy Spirit, as we all know. It says in verse 12 that Jesus never knew them, so they can't be saved. And also they had no oil with them. Not that they ran out of oil, and there is a difference, friend. Anyway, I thought I'd share that with you as there's much confusion around some of these parables. And in the coming days, I will do a broadcast on some of Jesus's more popular or perhaps obscure parables. So stay tuned for that. So let me now share, friend, some of the reasons why I believe the pre-tribulation view is the most accurate way to interpret the rapture of the church. And I have nine reasons for you. Number one, Noah and Lot as examples. The tribulation period is compared to the times of Noah and Lot by Jesus in Luke 17 verses 26 through 28. The two circumstances that Noah and Lot shared were the removal of the righteous and subsequent judgment of the wicked in their dispensation. Noah and his family were removed in an ark and Lot's family escaped from Sodom and Gomorrah by angels after Abraham interceded for them. Abraham acted like a type of Christ in this instance because he petitioned God for the righteous in the city. This is called setting a precedent in scripture or the law of first mention. Once a precedent is set, God is not capricious friend. He does not change his mind or the way he does things. Another significant aspect of the days of Noah that few know about is that godly seed was being tampered with. In the days before the flood, it describes in Genesis 6 of there being giants in the land before and after the flood. These were the progeny of rebellious watcher angels who saw the daughters of men as fair and took them as wives. As the book of Jude verse 6 states, these angels kept not their first estate and later became bound in Tartarus in the earth because of their indiscretion. Right now, friend, the seeds of the earth are being tampered with like never before. We have genetically modified seeds in our food chain, and no one really knows the long-term consequences to our DNA structure for making these changes. The seed war began in Genesis 3.15 and has never stopped since. Even now, in laboratories around the world, nations are splicing the DNA of animals and humans together to create chimeras that Dr. Moreau would be proud of. In April 2016, a three-parent baby was born in Mexico. Things are getting pretty freaky out there, people, to say the least. Number two, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Luke 12:36 states that when Christ returns, he'll be returning from a wedding. In Revelation 19:7 through 8, we read about the marriage itself. The marriage supper takes place before the marriage, friend. According to Jewish custom, the marriage contract often included a dowry, which was drawn up first. This contract parallels our act of faith when we trust Jesus as our Savior. A dowry, by definition, is what a wife brings to her husband at marriage. So we, the bride, are bringing trust in the husband Jesus as dowry when he returns to consummate the marriage. Amen.
This union occurs in heaven at the same time as the tribulation on earth. We, the church, are then clothed with our wedding garments, which comprises of a gown of salvation and a robe of righteousness, so that we return fully clothed with Jesus at his second coming in Revelation 19.14. When it's time for the wedding, the groom goes to the bride's house unannounced. She comes out to meet him, and then he takes her to his father's house. This precisely correlates with the events according to the pre-tribulation rapture viewpoint. In other words, Jesus the groom comes down from heaven and calls up the church, his bride. After meeting in the air, he and his bride return to his father's house, which is heaven, praise God. Then the marriage supper will take place, while on earth the final events of the tribulation will transpire as God pours out his wrath. After the marriage supper, of course, the bride and groom are presented to the world as man and wife. This corresponds to the time when Jesus returns to the earth, accompanied by an army, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. This army is comprised of the church or bride of Christ, which is now ready to be presented with her garments to the world. Number three. Come up hither. Many trib writers cite Revelation 4.1, which says, Come up hither, as a prophetic reference to the rapture of the church, leaving Revelations chapters 1 through 3 as a description of the church age. However, after the shout to come up hither, the church is not mentioned again in Scripture. The attention of Scripture switches from the church to the Jews living in Israel from that point forward. Notice the voice in Revelation 4.1 sounds like a trumpet, according to the Apostle John. This is the same trump that accompanies the rapture described in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. The voice speaking to the Apostle John was that of a trumpet, or the trump of God. Number four, the time of Jacob's trouble, not the church's trouble. In several passages, the Bible refers to the tribulation as a time of trouble for the Jews. The phrase Jacob's trouble pertains to the descendants of Jacob, not the church. Jeremiah 30 verse 7 says the time of Jacob's trouble will come just before the Lord's return to save his people, the Jews, and everyone else who got saved during the tribulation. Daniel's 70th week, or tribulation, is yet to take place for Israel. An angel told Daniel that 70 weeks are determined unto thy people, that's the Jew, not the Christian, in Daniel 9.24. Scripture never mentions the tribulation as a time of testing for believers or Christians. It's a time of testing for Israel because they've rejected Jesus as Messiah. Number five, armies in fine linen. When Jesus returns in Revelation 19.18, an army follows him. The army is riding on white horses and clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Friend, we are that army. This is also a description of the righteous saints of the church in Jude 14. In Revelation 19.8, we're told fine linen is granted to the righteous if the saints are returning with Christ our conquering king to wage war on the Antichrist, then it's not possible to have a simultaneous post-tribulation rapture without us running into ourselves. 
Number six, my father's house. We should not ignore the amazing parallels of John 14, 1 through 3, and 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Many scholars believe John 14, 1 through 3 is a rapture reference. As I've said before, several scholars have rendered the first part of John 14 as not speaking of a promise for dead saints, but the rapture of the church. This coming is for his own and does not concern his coming for the Jewish remnant or to establish his kingdom on the earth. Number seven, preterist theory. Many groups try to discredit the pre-trib rapture by saying most of the end time events in the Bible have already taken place. But this cannot be so. A group called preterists claim the book of Revelation was mostly fulfilled in 70 AD when the Jewish temple was destroyed. If the events described in the book of Revelation took place in the past... They do not account for the rebirth of Israel, the reunification of Europe, cataclysmic meteorite impacts, the opening of the bottomless pit, the development of nuclear weapons, a hundred pound hailstones falling from the sky, and the sea turning to blood. There are numerous events on a global level that clearly didn't occur in 70 AD, which meet the literal description of the book of Revelation. Friend, clearly, this refutes the preterists' viewpoint. Number eight, war or rapture. When Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation, he will be coming for battle as a conquering king. For those who believe in a post-tribulation rapture, it would seem strange to meet our Lord and Savior in the air just as he's rushing into battle. This idea that war and rapture could occur simultaneously is difficult to perceive, especially since they transpire at the same moment according to the post-trib proponents. Number nine, God takes an inventory. In Revelation 7.3, an angel descends to earth and seals the servants of God. Two bits of information about this sealing highly disclaim a post-tribulation viewpoint. The first item is the number of people sealed, 144,000. The second is that all those who are sealed are from the 12 tribes of Israel. For the events in Revelation 7, 3 through 8 to be true in a post-tribulation interpretation, either the church has turned against God or God has turned against the church. Friend, the reason the church is not mentioned is it's already in heaven. It is not going to endure the wrath of God. Friend, this concludes our final broadcast on the rapture of the church. I know I've gone at a really fast pace today. At any time, I hope to see you in the air, my friend, when we meet the Lord together. You've been listening to Carl Joseph and the Lions Unchained podcast. Carl is a minister who has witnessed God's miraculous power to save, heal, and deliver. Carl covers topics such as geopolitics, current affairs, cults, societal trends, and end-time events, all through a biblical lens. Every Monday, new podcasts are uploaded, so stay tuned for the next opportunity to roar into victory. Check out carljosephministries.com for exciting articles, teachings, and discussion points. See you next week, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button.